Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome down the security rabbit hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf here, uh, and uh, riding uh, solo today. And I've got an old friend on the podcast. I'm not calling you old, Rick. It's just we've known each other for a while. Uh, okay, I, everybody I, I'm else gonna, does. I'm going I'm I'm to clarify that right off the bat. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, Rick Howard's on the show this week, and uh, we're going to talk through, I don't know, whatever Rick wants to talk about, but he's had some, uh, he's had some life experience in the industry. He's, he's, he knows a few people. He's read some things. So we'll go down that thread. Hey, before we do, though, I want you to uh, take a second, if you haven't already, go join us on LinkedIn. Uh, go check out the uh, YouTube channel as I continue to post videos from some of these select episodes uh, going forward here. And uh, don't forget to uh, go subscribe and share. So love to hear from you. Uh, looking forward to uh, a good episode. So first off, welcome to the show, Rick. How are you? Thank you, sir. It's glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. I love coming on this show. Uh, it, well, now that you, of course, are, uh, are a certified, bona fide journalist yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, hey, give us a little history. Because last time we met, you were uh, on this show anyway. You were uh, over at the Palo Alto Networks. You were uh, doing great things over there. Tell us about what's transpired since and what you're doing now. Yeah, my last gig, I was the chief security officer over there. And when I left Palo Alto Networks, um, I thought I was going to retire. You know, and I don't know, go fishing or something. And uh, that didn't work <laughs> you, out. <laughs> yeah, we talked about how bad you, you are at retirement. <laughs> That's right. Um, and you know, Raph, I'm a huge podcast fan. I've been listening to podcasts before we even had a name for it. And uh, I was on this one program from the CyberWire. CyberWire is a network of cybersecurity podcasts. And they have their flagship is called The Daily. And it's kind of a 20-minute news program. But I was on that many times in my previous role, you know, hawking our wares at Palo Alto Networks. Uh, and so on a lark, I sent them a note and said, hey, you guys should let me do a podcast. Uh, and they immediately called me and said, uh, you should just come work for us. So now <laughs> I, am, I am the chief security officer, chief analyst and senior fellow, pretty lofty title uh, for the CyberWire. And I actually produce uh, two podcasts, uh, one on the pro side, okay, uh, the subscription side called CSO Perspectives. And one on the ad-supported side that's really short and a lot of fun called Word Notes, where we take a term that's in the news, define it, and give it some cultural context, and even throw in some geek culture about it. So I have a lot. Oh, of good, that. good grief! Are, the, are these IT words? Yeah, they're IT that... and cybersecurity stuff, like you know, what's uh, VPN and uh, what's uh, what's zero trust? You know, any all the buzzwords <laughs> that are out there. So. 
Uh, you make it uh, as as usual, making uh, marketing people's heads explode. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's that's my goal. Okay, it's totally my goal. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! All right, so cool. You you're in the podcasting world. Listen, you've you've had some uh, you've had some ex- significant experience. We'll say leading organizations. Uh, you've got a, a lot of leadership background. Uh, when you look at the, uh, I'll start here. When you look at the, the the landscape today, what's going on out there today? Um, I, there's a, uh, oh God, I guess a continuation of the drumbeat of more tech, more tech, more tech. Uh, but I have, I have witnessed uh, what I think is a move towards services. Are you seeing, uh, the, an increased adoption in services across the industry? Well, I definitely think that, uh, especially if you're a small to medium sized company, you're not going to buy a bunch of tech and deploy it in your own organizations. And I'm just looking at the CyberWire, for example, we're a startup. We've got about 25 people in the company and we completely run the business on SaaS applications, right? There's no, right. There's no internal network at all, right? And so um, it's a really different model from what I used to do at, when I was at Palo Alto Networks, right? And it comes with its own bag of security concerns. Uh, but I think uh, that's the promise for, of cloud delivery, that we don't have to build our own infrastructure anymore. And and most of us don't want to, right? It's so complicated, right? <laughs> yeah. to, you know, and, and we took all that responsibility on ourselves. You know, just 10 years ago, if you were in a medium-sized company, you might have 25 locations around the world. You're deploying hardware and software to all those locations and having to manage it and having to manage the network to, to make all that work. It's really complicated. No wonder we can't stop the bad guys from breaking into our networks. Yeah, look, the difference. As I'm, I'm, I can confirm that on my side, particularly on the mid-sized market, right? The, the companies that have somewhere between two hundred and say five grand or so employees, where you know you may have some IT, you probably will have some IT people, uh, but there's usually you know between zero and three people responsible for security, depending on the size of the org. And you're right, you know, going through and trying to deploy tech the way we did it uh, yeah. back in my day, back in uh, the day, yeah. <laughs> back in the day, right? Um, you know, they put the firewall in at the perimeter, managed and anti malware like this, this, and this, all the stuff installed locally. I, you know, I'm writing, a, I'm writing a piece uh, now for a contributor article about sort of what COVID has done to a lot of security strategies and, and sort of how it's accelerated this uh, evolution to where a lot of security tech that had sort of the, the central, you know, central management console server thing locally in some network that had to be then VPNed into or back to that's, mm-hmm. that's gotta, that's gotta be gone. That, that infrastructure, that model is absolutely toast. Well, um, what I think and, is interesting about the COVID situation is that before COVID, Having a mostly remote workforce was not even considered. We, we weren't even, that wasn't even on the table. It was too hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but now it's like, oh, yeah, we did it. Okay. So, <laughs> well, you didn't I don't have think a choice, we're going right? back. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to tell you, my, what I'm looking forward to is uh, the new model, I think, is really uh, something called SASE, all right, Secure Access Service Edge. It's just a brand new idea. Gartner coined it back in 2019, all right? But it completely flips the model, right? Uh, when we yeah. did it back in the day, we managed all that hardware, all right, yeah, from yeah. all those locations. And it's just crazy. The complexity is too hard. 
The SASE model has three components. First, it's a cloud service provider that uh, manages the blinky lights for whatever security stack they have. You know, it, it could be, you know, a Palo Alto Networks box or a host of other things that they decide yeah. that they want, right? It's also an SD-WAN um, uh, meta layer so that it manages the, the connections for all those remote locations. And yeah, then it's so also, it's that- yeah. Go ahead. Uh, real quick on that point, I'm, it, it's it's that notion that we need to, we can get rid of the multi you know point to point yeah. to single point back channel or sorry yeah. backhaul VPN. So yeah, because when I'm we were thoroughly... doing it, yeah, when we were doing it back then, the internet wasn't fast enough to do you know right. to let the internet be the backbone. But right. now it is, and it's really cheap. Your broadband connections are pretty cheap compared to T ones and T three lines that we. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. So an SD WAN meta layer, which adds some complexity to it, but but makes it cheaper, right? Uh, is probably a good way to go. And then the third component is um, is a peering connection with that uh, SASE vendor with some of the big network providers like uh, Google or Amazon or somebody like yeah. that, because they have these giant fiber networks around the world. Uh, why go out to the internet around the world and back through somebody else's uh, network to get in when you could just use their backbone? So uh, it's just starting, you know, if you're going to put it on the Gartner hype cycle, it's not even at the peak yet of yeah, uh, yeah. anticipation, right? So we got to go through the trough of disillusionment and work our way through. We're five to 10 years away, but uh, I think that's the model that's going to win. Well, and there's a bunch of vendors that have kind of consolidated that. I mean, um, there's probably about four or five that I can think of off the top of my head that, that have sort of uh, addressed this. And, and it, with increasing uh, focus on completely decentralizing the way network access happens. So, mm-hmm. um, look, we're saying we've got a an access, an endpoint, whatever that endpoint is, that accesses a network mm-hmm. that has to access corporate resources, uh, personal whatever, you know, your Facebooks and your finances and whatever. And then cloud resources, which are company owned. Yep. And how do you do identity? How do you do least privilege? How do you do uh, filter out malware and bad things? How do you provide private access without actually having private access? Mm-hmm. And so these kind of tunnels on demand, if you will, right? The uh, While inserting DLP, anti-malware, DNS, yep. uh, URL filtering, all these things. This, is, this concept is awesome. Because it's, and, and funny enough, I'm actually wondering about that. It's, it's completely revolutionizing the way that we do that we think about our endpoints. Because it was a corporate desktop, then it became a corporate laptop, yep. and we loaded all these agents onto it. And like you know, the, the places where that failed is, is the minute you leave the office, you go home. Your kid wants to you know surf their Facebook account yep. or play video games or something. And, and then you need to then tunnel into the corporate network to check email. Why did we do like, why, why do we have to do that? That's either split tunneling, which is a terrible idea, right? Or everything goes into the corporate network and all that malware just kind of floods in. Um, yeah, I had that happen to me this morning. My daughter is going on vacation and she stopped by the house before she left and used my corporate laptop to you know, go after her tickets. I was like, wait, what are you doing? Get off of my laptop, right? So, <laughs> um. <laughs> but you know, but, but that we, we, God, we've talked about this since I think the first mention of this uh, was this concept of BYOD, like bring your own devices. Mm-hmm. When I was at GE, we were talking about that in, oh, 
don't know, 03, 04, 05, somewhere like that. Yeah. It goes this work anywhere, work on any device initiative. And uh, it's been kind of evolving. Gosh, so I can't believe it's, wow, really? 20, almost yeah, 8, 17, 18 years? It's been a long time. And, long? and still, and some government organizations still don't allow it, right? They, they provide their own, they pledge their employees with government phones, right? So you have to carry two phones around with you wherever you Two go, phones, right? two multiple yeah. apps. Yeah. I mean, right. one, it's convenience, right? It's, it's yeah. no employee that I've ever had, you know, contact with ever said, boy, I can't wait to carry another device. That sounds awesome, yeah. G-Golly. Sounds great. I think the, <laughs> the, the key technology piece that's missing from all this is uh, something called software-defined perimeter. And it's a yeah. horrible, horrible name because it, it has nothing to do with perimeter at all. Um, but it's the idea that instead of, if I want to log into a workload on Amazon, instead of having to go to that workload and put a user ID and password or some other mechanism to get in, you go to some other place completely, you yeah. authenticate who you are, right? And then that system authorizes you to go to what workload you want to go to. That, they make the decision there. And then if you are yeah. authorized to go, then they establish the encrypted tunnel to get to the workload. Right. That is such a better way to do it. And it involves identity and it involves and then that's where you can put your zero trust stuff in. And uh, and again, that is not here yet. There's only a handful of companies that provide it. Um, Google's Beyond Core is is based on that, but it's only for Google customers if you're only a Google stuff. So we're a long ways from that, too. But again, I think that's part of the future. Coming up to well, it. I think the technology. I think the technology is going to continue to evolve in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of. It's kind of like with cloud compute, right? We we had to get over the fact that we were going to lose control over the 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 device, the mm-hmm. physical thing. Because yeah, that, in that security, was a hard, we were, that was a hard one. Yeah. It, it was super <laughs> difficult. Like I need to have that server there so I can mm-hmm. physically look at it, and I, I can connect to it if I need to. Like I, I have to, you know, somehow physically touching it. Uh, meant that it, it, you could you could I don't know some yeah. kind of level yeah, of more comfort. Control I mean, that's or something. A, yeah, that's a holdover from you know from a world that is largely physical. That's not it's that's disappearing. Yeah. Um. And, and so we had to evolve over that, but that kind of that kind of remote access on demand security data protection identity management thing that involves or involves rather to so to get there. Like the technology, some of the base tech exists today. It's not pretty. It's still not complicated. Yep. And and I don't. I you know whether it's Barracuda, whether it's Palo, whether it's uh, oh god, I've forgotten their names. Um, the company that smashes boxes every year at uh, at RSA. Yeah. Uh, uh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Zscaler. 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 Yeah. Right, those guys. There's there's a bunch of these uh, companies out there that are they're into this. Um, I'd say they're all doing it. Eh best effort but i think another like you said about five years worth of evolution when to get there but it's like the idea that the 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 corporate network was a place yeah is gone Gone. or it's rapidly dissolving we talked about the dissolving perimeter what 10 years ago plus and it's dissolved and and we haven't really we haven't come up with a solution for it yet we're still that's so that's the interesting part right like our v like vpns were going to be the extension but we realized during covid is like our VPNs were set up for you know twenty percent, twenty five percent of the company's capacity. Suddenly, a hundred percent went, and getting the licenses to allow it to do that yeah. were, were like, <laughs> that's the easy part, yeah. Right? Yeah. Then bandwidth, 
hardware implement like getting people IDs. How do you authenticate people? And then the problem, well, you know, like, and, and I work problem. at a, I work at a security company, right? So everybody at the at their home had pretty decent internet connections, right? Right. But in other companies, that's not that's not a given, right? I I know, uh, right? So well, and, and that assumes, and, and that makes the assumption that, and and this is kind of where some of that the conversation gets derailed in a lot of these cases because we, you know, we look we're we're at a position where we have high tech, we have monitors and keyboards and and laptops and desktops and high speed internet and connections, sounds and systems, and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. yeah. But think about some of the employees that 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 are absolutely, you know, uh, it should be able to do this kind of knowledge work. That, that can't afford the high speed or live in a place where high speed internet isn't a thing, yeah. right? There are places in America, boys and girls, that high speed internet is still not a, not, not a thing. Like you can't get gig out there. There's uh, some, right? Yeah, and, just to make you feel depressed, there are some high schools in the South that don't have an internet connection, right? And so it's tough to generate yeah. cybersecurity people if you can't even get to the internet at your school, right? So that's kind of Well, and that makes, yeah. that makes life a little bit more difficult, right? And I'm, I'm working with... Uh, you know, part of the job at Lightstream here is, is kind of working with companies, uh, extending infrastructure. And one of the things that we're, we're working on now quite a bit is looking at these FTTX fiber to the curve, fiber to the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, so the companies that do that last run, uh, yeah, say, call it a municipal ISP that in, in some backwoods, you know, edge of the map county that, no, that nobody knows where it is. But they still have a you know fire department, nine one one services, mm-hmm. you know yep. post office, blah blah blah. That have to get internet services, schools. They have to get internet services, libraries, um, and, and and these guys. I mean, they they can work out the bandwidth parts, all right. But so you sort of go, yeah. So what are you doing for the security? They're sort of like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, that, that's scary. In, in terms of bandwidth, that, uh, again, another technology that's five ten years away from being fully deployed is you know I think five G solves this problem but we're we're a long ways from that yet all right and uh, uh i'm talking about getting that last mile right yeah yeah five, five yeah that so the 5g is interesting because I've, I've seen i think verizon and, and t-mobile are selling maybe even at&t are selling the the little base stations locally mm-hmm. uh that you can you know ditch your home internet go 5g and i'm thinking cool but you're not getting a gig out here no <laughs> and, and i yeah. need that a lot of infrastructure connection. has to be down to the pole before I can connect all that, right? So, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And so security being built into this new paradigm of sort of working from home has been it's been interesting to watch because a lot of the companies that my day job I do business with were I mean almost all of it is exclusively mid market, right? So that's small that's smaller than enterprise. Yeah. And a lot of these companies were even the knowledge workers were work in the office, work on a desktop or or you know some not necessarily everybody could go home and work. The SaaS applications uh, weren't really you know, weren't really pervasive. Right. Uh, and the, okay, crap, tomorrow the office is closed going forward in, until we don't know. And, um, and and we need to be able to do work. We need to be able to have our employees be productive. And, and the, the, man, the, the disaster that has, followed and i think the the level of risk that we have created as a result of this i, I think that's going to be felt over the next couple of years um because these hurry up deployments were i mean duct tape and bubble gum in some cases right but but it worked and it got people out there 
uh, business was still going on. So you take that risk. The alternative is shut down the company, right? Well, that's the thing, you know, I, I, um, employees don't want to go back to the office, right? Uh, right. You know, this has been pretty sweet. I get to stay here with my dog and walk outside and take a walk instead of having to, you know, walk around the building that I used to work at. Uh, so, and, and, and refusing to go back to the office when the bosses say, Hey, we need to come back and start again. They're going, yeah, you know, I don't think so. Uh, find somebody else if that's what you want. Right. So, yeah. And then that, that's, uh, will that lead us to, you know, talk about the great resignation. I, I don't know if that that's happening yeah, necessarily, know. but we'll see. <laughs> I think that's probably more hype than anything else or maybe wishful thinking, but there, there is certainly, going to be in IT or within the knowledge worker area, there's certainly going to be jobs that are simply never going to go back to the office. And these are not just, you know, uh, administrative, uh, low, we'll call it low security, low sensitivity jobs. Mm -hmm. These are going to be people that are working with card data, with personal information, health information, company secrets, whatever. And, they're not going to want 12 devices in their home. They're not going to want to be limited to a, you know, a physical office. They're going to want to be yeah. able to do what they do wherever they want to do it. And well, uh, I, you know, look, you know, what's interesting is um, I've been running commercial cyber intelligence teams for, you know, geez, long time, over a decade, yeah, maybe longer, 20 years, maybe. And one of the <laughs> perks, one of the perks we would give those Intel, Intel analysts is that we don't require you to be in the office. All right. You can yeah. work wherever you want. So we, people like you and me, we've been used to that model, right? Uh, and people that have worked for me um, have become very good at managing teams in the remote environments, right? And I think the rest of the world is just learning how to do that. Well, it, it, you're right. I've, I've had the privilege, and I'll definitely, definitely is what it is. It's a privilege of working remotely or from home for the better part of about 20 years. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, the, the last job that I've had to be in the office for every day was my GE job. And that was, um, that ended, I mean, that part of it ended in like, oh, three, oh, four or something like that. And then the next yeah, stage those, of that was, you know, a couple of days from home. Those guys are pseudo government anyway, right? That's, there's a reason they want you in the office every day, right? Right. Uh, they're well, always, but government's always 10 years behind what the commercial world is. Uh, yeah, it seems like the bigger the company, the more likely they are to be slow. I mean, you know, Meg Whitman in her infinite wisdom a couple of years ago told everybody that if you're not sitting in the office, you're not working. I remember yeah. that quote. I was like, God, so glad I got out of that one because that went well. Yeah. <laughs> the Marissa School of Yahoo uh, management, right? If you're not there, you must not be like, must so what be. level of trust do you have in your employees for come on now? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. It's been an interesting. It's been an interesting year. Um, I mean, for literally in the last eighteen months since, like, you and I left uh, our our uh, our jobs at a roughly, I won't say the same time, but roughly a similar time frame, right? right? Yeah. Me, April of of last year, uh, and a lot of my peers were like, "Are you insane? <laughs> like, this is the worst time ever." But uh, it's weird. Our industry hasn't suffered from the joblessness, the, the kind of disastrous HR aspect of, of the lockdowns of COVID and some of the things. But uh, we are feeling the after effects of the IT impact right now. And like the added risk is one thing. The, the, transform the speed of, of acceleration of the transformation of technology 
I think is what's what's really going to drive the next couple of five years. Yeah, you, you keep hearing about digital transformation, right? And and before COVID, you know, people talked about it a lot. Didn't many organizations didn't even get close to it? Uh, but right. because of COVID, um, they had to do a bunch of things that moved them in that direction, right? I'm, um, I'm not sure that they completely embraced the idea of it because um, we are still seeing companies that you know basically lift and shift to cloud resources, right? right. Without without try, really trying to take advantage of uh, some of the things you could do there, right? Um, we're talking about the benefits of DevOps and infrastructure as code. Um, many organizations are still struggling with that and security organizations still have not adopted that idea. All right. So we're still manual in yeah. many places. So um, we got a long ways to go. Okay. But I think COVID goosed us a little bit in that direction. Well, we certainly got to kick in the pants we needed. I mean, whether you <laughs> liked it or not, right. It, it was happening right now. Yeah. And um, I, I think, I think some of the accelerated adoption of the distributed working environment um, is breaking a tremendous amount of the old guard tool set in the security mm -hmm. space. I agree. It, it, a lot of it, it, it I, I was, I was at a, uh, I spoke at the GSX uh, global security exchange conference this week and uh, I'm not, to, I'm not making fun of any vendors, but there are vendors well, that are talking about there's, there, well there's there was one there's one in particular that came um that came out of the government sector and they're basically an ips ish kind mm -hmm. of technology um and they're like yeah uh you know, i asked for you know t tell me about what you guys do and they're talking about it's like yeah we give you this little box and you put it on your network and oh uh oh my and, and i'm going uh, hold on uh, what happens with distributed employees what happens with cloud and they're like well that's we're gonna get we're gonna get to that next year um because you know and and in their defense they came out of the gun sector earlier this year and which basically is still all hard perimeter you know walk into the building you can use your tech in there but only the one you have not the one you brought from home kind of thing well it's funny so you mentioned that, that. It's funny you mention that because that, when I left Palo Alto Networks, uh, I'm on a number, of, a couple of boards now and a, a number of advisory boards. And whenever this topic comes up and says, here's how we're going to do it. If, and if they are not talking about delivering their service from the cloud, I said, okay, stop. Stop what you're doing. If your yeah. business depends on sending a box into my network, I am not buying that. All right. I'm just yeah, not. it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very that, that that transformation is interesting. Even when you try to conceptualize these, I mean, look, where did we come from? We came from giant monolithic ring fenced flat networks. Yep. <laughs> and, and then we went to through various odd stages of like preteen growth awkwardness, where we said, "Okay, we're going to we're going to segment everything." No, we're not. Um, Right, like uh, wink. We're going to segment wink. everything, yeah. right? Every firewall and IPS vendor ever was like, "Okay, you're going to have your finance network here and your developers here," and like so none easy. of that ever, like never ever going to happen ever. Well, um, you, you know what? I'm going to tell you the, the technology part of that has worked for a decade. Okay? Well, yeah, but right, it's, it, that's it's, not it's, the problem. It's the no. policy and people that you, exactly. people have trouble making that work. You have to convince. 
you know, Joe up in finance that he's not going to have access to whatever thing we're not letting him have access to. And that's a political fight that you, that we tend to lose all day. Well, <laughs> and, and I think that's what that's what I mean. That's what uh, some of these breaches lately have have taught us is. Yeah, you know, I've had conversations with customers like, well, what could we have done differently? And I said, well, if you can get into a time machine and go back to the late '90s and actually implement uh, segmented networks, like. 80, 85% actually, actually do it right yeah. with, with least privilege and monitored access and limited port access and all that, like 80, 85% of the things that we're getting busted on today simply wouldn't work. Right. Do you, you know, what was the problem with some of like the Sasser worm sequel slam or all those? Oh, yeah. It's the fact that they got onto a machine and had access to literally everything else on your network. Like if they were segment, if you, if there was a segment that that thing landed on, and it could access 15 other machines and that's it. Like that wouldn't have been a problem that took down global networks. And yet. Well, I, I think <laughs> like one of our problems is um, I'm a big believer in first principle thinking, right? And uh, yeah. and you and I have been doing this a long time. What we have done as, an, as a community is incrementally improve things over time. But we, we, no one has really stopped and say, is this the right direction that we're going? Yeah, yeah. Right? And so if you think about if what we're all trying to accomplish, is, in my opinion, if you talk about first principles, is we're trying to prevent material impact to our organization. All right? Right. Uh, not, maybe, maybe not even prevent it, maybe reduce the probability that it will happen. Right? Yeah. So if you do that, if that's the thing, uh, what you're talking about with segmentation is really a zero trust strategy, right? right? And, and zero trust is not a technology that you buy, okay? Because every vendor offers a zero trust, you know, widget, right? But it's a bunch of things you put together to uh, reduce the tax surface of your organization. And right. zero trust is what you said, logical segmentation of important things. We don't want the developers to have access to the M&A database. That would be stupid, all right? So you want to be able to easily implement those kinds of prevention, right? But in order, in talking about first principles though, if you're gonna to try to do that, the very first thing you need to implement is some sort of identity management program. So you know yeah, it's the developers and their machines. So you can make a rule that says you don't get access to the M&A database, right? So it's a very complicated chain of things you have to put in place, and well, it, many of us can't get it done, right? Well, here's the, I mean, this goes back many, many years, but here was the argument against that, why that could just never practically happen before, uh, and before several levels of technology evolution is, is, is politics, basically, co corporate politics, right? That's right. You had somebody that was hired to do a particular job. They needed... 30 seconds of access to another system. Yep. So their boss would say, give them that access. You yep. go, okay, but for how long? They're like, I, I can't be bothered. Just yep. give them the access. It's too easy and just goes, to give them administrative access and we'll figure it out later. It, I mean, I've well, been in what, that position. Yeah. Who are they? What do they need access to specifically? When does that access expire automatically revoked? That last part was like, if we could have at least gotten that last part and when do we revoke it? Yep. Never. Yeah. So you ended up people that have been working for the company five, six, seven years have done five or six jobs that are basically are domain admin at this point across yeah. everything. Exactly. So they have access to everything. And if they get infected with something, which come on, that the reality that you're going to protect, I mean, at least we're, as an industry, we're moving away from 
you know, the the uh, the, the shenanigans of, of certain endpoint vendors who I won't name because they're no longer relevant, but, you know, protects against all threats known and unknown. Get the hell out of here. Right. Like, this, <laughs> sure you do. Um, right. Can we can we come back to reality, please? But but um, it's that notion that at some point somebody's going to craft something that will make it through your perimeter, whatever your perimeter looks like. Either your, you know, your, uh, you'll you'll be, give somebody access to something uh, accidentally. Uh, you'll a piece of code that nobody's ever seen that's that's malicious, that's that's innovative will make it past the filter. Like these things happen thousands of times an hour, much less in a day, in a year. And then what? Right? It's it's the reduce. Like my thought has been like when we when the world went in, in, around us, the world went to uh, assume breach. I was like, okay. That's kind of def- at first I was like that's really defeatist, but then the longer you think about it, the more you go that forces you into this zero trust mentality is kind of where Kindvog came kind of with this notion, exactly right? right? But but it's it's l- let's assume that somebody can get to any one of my entry points, assets, applications, data layers, whatever. What kind of damage can they do, and how do I limit the impact of that damage? Well, that's exactly Whether right. It's, A breach does not mean material impact. Okay. Correct. Right. So even if they get into the admin secretary's laptop, if you yep. if you've reduced her uh, access to everything, that probably doesn't matter, right? Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing, but okay, uh, we'll give well, her a new laptop, right? So uh, right, and remember, pen, that's where pen testers would go. They would go to the the admin yeah. desk that's outside the gated yeah. walls of the office. They would get the uh, admin, um, get him to enter, you know, put some USB stick in that would infect everything. Boom, and he, they, they, now they've got access to everything. Right. Like that should never have happened. Well, it's um, like the, the, the SolarWinds attack, uh, you know, right. which is a supply chain attack, which is devastating. It's a genius way to do stuff. But that where they caused, that's not where they caused the damage. That was just the entry point. Right. Where they caused the damage is nobody was looking. At who authorized the tokens to the exchange server, right? And so nobody was watching that stuff. And so that's where the damage came. So that's why zero trust is important, is to close off those avenues, right? So when we have a supply chain breach like SolarWinds, they're not as successful as they have been. And they continue to be successful. Yeah. But what's interesting is so many of of the... Companies that have pushed assets, even in even in a an actual cloud way, not just you know put old tech into some into a different data center, mm-hmm. but actually started architecting cloud principles, um, they still end up with one giant flat network that everything talks to everything and trusts everything else in there. They don't do zone, they don't do zone based segmentation. They don't do micro segmentation. They don't do identity like an identity can go do you know. Anything like, oh, I can go deploy, I can go tear down, I can go delete logs, I can go create other identities. You're like, but think about, like, yes, that's really, really convenient, but deadly. But then, so this is the problem that we run into is anytime we make it simple, super simple, we add security risk to it almost almost incidentally. Mm -hmm. As soon as we make it more complex, which is what adding security seems to mean, Right. It's like, oh, we're going to make 17 different identities for you as an individual so that you can do 17 different jobs. Well, that's not feasible because then you, I've got a friend of mine that has her. She, she works in a healthcare network and um, you know she's got her personal account on her laptop to do her job. 
and then she's got like admin access to each of the different systems that they that their team administers. But it's a different login. It's a different login. It's a different password. The passwords are rotated every like ten days or something ridiculous. And you go, you guys, that's not security. That's insanity. insanity. <laughs> all right. So I don't want to be accused of all doom and gloom. All right. There, all these technologies <laughs> that we talk about, they're right over the horizon. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sassy. Uh, software-defined perimeter, uh, zero trust, you can do right now with most of the stuff that you already have, right? So uh, this is not, this is not, these are not problems that cannot be solved. It's just, these are problems right. you have to embrace and decide that to get out of the, the normal way we do things and really start solving the problems in terms of first principles, I think. Well, look, I, I think the challenge is going to continue to be, and Maybe maybe this is just the the next wave of security leaders just have to be able to find a way to make this mm. mainstream. But change the thinking of IT is there to do the business's bidding, and I and and into truly partnership, truly advisory level thinking where a, a, a CISO or the equivalent commensurate security lead has. Uh, say has a vote in the design of the organization uh, has the ear of, of legal has the ear of risk that can say, listen, y- I know you guys want domain admin for everybody or at least local admin for everybody. So they can just do all their work easily. And if I take that away, yes, it will increase my help desk costs. However, right. The increased help desk cost is X. The cost of a breach that, th- that this now increases by 50 fold is Y right? These numbers are not the same. Let's do the thing that's wise. And, and, and ultimately we need, we need to stop looking at security as a cost, as just a cost center or a way to save money. Cause yeah, I, it, you I, don't, I hate that approach. Right. And, uh, I think you and I've talked about this before, um, security professionals like us are really bad at conveying risk to business leaders. Right. Still, it isn't, it, still, I still hear people talk about what's the return on investment if I spend money on this firewall, let's say. There's no return on investment. You're spending <laughs> money to reduce the probability of material impact. Right. So and what we are horrible at is telling the senior leadership, it says, you know what, if we don't deploy this firewall, you're a 40 percent chance of being materially impacted in the next three years. If you do install it, you're at 10 percent. Right. right. And you decide, you know, you're the business leader. They pay you the big bucks. Uh, you're weighing risk on all kinds of things all the time. You right. decide if you can eat that risk or not. Right. But we are really bad at conveying yeah. that to senior leadership. Well, that goes back to you know, the, the hand waving and the, and the entirely different, you know, the new, the different language we developed and the way we even talk to people mm-hmm. like early on. Right. Go back. I mean, it still happens, but a lot less now. But go back 10 years. Right. We used to treat. Uh, we, you know, the whole stupid user, like we could just get rid of the users. Everything'd be great. Like, stop. It's like, that's the concept of the, you know, do you remember the bastard operator from hell books? (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. (laughs) I have, but I have them. I I actually, they're, I, every once in a while, I just reread them. So I'm like, God, we were these people. Yeah, we were. Like, this is awful. How did we, like, how did we get here? This is how we got here. Right. Yeah. This kind of way. We insisted back in the nineties. Okay, the yeah. security risk was somehow different than all the other yes. business risks, and we needed to be treated different. 
right? Uh, I think that's slowly going away. But uh, boy, that's that's how we got into some of the pickles that we are in right now. Well, funny you should say that. This is, here's a point I want to. It's a good place to kind of pivot out into our last segment because we're kind of deep in time. But um, the uh, James Christiansen, when him and I worked, oh, I worked with him at uh, Optive. Uh, what feels like a million years ago, James had this great view of like the, uh, he brought in the, uh, I think it was Harvard uh, business school business had these like seven dimensions of risk, right? There's operational, financial, mm-hmm. um, legal, and a couple others. And it, people in our trade, right. In our industry, want to put security as one, as a, a cybersecurity, as a, as a, as a risk. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, it it's not a thing. It's not. A I, thing. I'm having to go back and convince. Like, no, it influences the legal, the, yes. the financial, the operational, yes. the whatever. Right. Exactly. It, it influences all of those, but it's not its own separate discipline. And if it because it's not, right? When when you try to make it its own, you put us in a silo and you say we operate autonomously. We do not. Yeah, and then when you we don't speak us, in the same language that the business leaders do. Now, now we speak in our correct. own language, right? So right, yeah, if that doesn't work. Right. And, and so now you've got to get into the, the, the idea that, look, we materially impact everything the company does. Here's how we influence other areas of risk. We can make them worse and we can make them better. And you, you need to, you know, you, we need to make our peace with that, that this is how it functions. Um, anyway, so, hey, before I let you go, what are you reading now, Rick? Because you, you've got you, you got the library uh, of things. Uh, I've got I've got mine. I don't know if you can see mine in my background. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I still got mine back there. Well, you know, I'm still part of the uh, volunteer project called the Cybersecurity Canon Project. Yeah. So there's about, uh, and it's set up like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where we have um, practitioners read the books, write book reviews, and then try to tell everybody else, this is a book you should read or not, right? So we do the work so you don't have to. Uh, The one one I just uh, read uh, is is, uh, Pearl Roth. Uh, New York Times journalist. It's called uh, "This Is How They Tell Me the World Ends," um, okay. and it's a it's a history and evolution of um, the uh, exploit market. Okay, where governments and other entities pay hackers to develop uh, exploits that they can, so that these entities can use them in whatever they're doing: espionage, surveillance, or just even criminal activity. Right. Um, and just, you know, um, full disclosure, when I was in my, I was, I was an army guy. I ran the army cert for a couple of years, my last duty. One of my responsibilities was to have 30 zero day exploits ready to go at any given time. So I was on one, I bought these things in my early days. And then when I was on the commercial side, um, I, I worked, I ran iDefense for VeriSign many years ago. We developed exploits and sold them to the government. So I worked on the other <laughs> side, right? You can't move it up the chain, right? Yeah. So, um, so I am not blameless here, okay? But uh, if you're if you've been reading the news, okay, in the NSO group and, uh, yeah. and Pegasus yeah, and all that stuff, and their official company policy is we only we only develop these tools to track down terrorists and criminals. Uh, but that's really just legal boilerplate because they really have no control over the tool right. once it's out there, right? And but so the book is yeah. fascinating. Uh, it's it's not a must read. I don't think it's uh, Hall of Fame material for the canon. But if you are interested in exploitation and the exploitation market, it's a great read. But let me just 
ended here with something that she said at the end of the book that has really stuck with me uh, these past couple of weeks. And they keep coming back to it. It turns out in, uh, in her research, the people making the money on developing exploits are the hackers that are um, down in Argentina. I guess they're the best ones in the world right now. They're the ones making all the money. Right. So she goes down there to talk to a conference, uh, the conference organizers for this group of hackers. And she's aghast that they would sell these exploits to anybody in the world that would pay. And they're making big dollars. I mean, you get a zero day exploit that is working, that works all the time. That's at least a million dollar payout. Right. So uh, the money is pretty big. Um, so she's asking the conference organizer, well, you're only selling them to the good guys, right? You're not selling them. You're selling them to Western governments. You're not selling them to the bad people. And he looked at her and said, you are obviously misunderstood. You under misunderstand what's going on here. Do you think that the Western governments are the good guys? Do you think that's what's going on? Says so the only government we know that's uh, dropping drone bombs on people in the world is the United States. Right. The Western governments aren't the good guys anymore. China's not dropping bombs on anybody. Iran's not dropping bombs on anybody. The United States is. So, you know, you can take your high and mightiness away and figure out what to do with it. But we're going to make some money in the meantime. It's like, yikes, that is a hard pill to swallow that the United States and the Western governments are not the good guys anymore. So I'm trying to get my hands around. That. Yeah, that's a. Interesting place to leave it. All right, Rick. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. Uh, walking us. I tell you what, man. I want to. You should be like a regular guest on this because we have. We, we can always keep talking. Yeah, I we, feel like I'm always cutting us off. We were uh, we were talking about stuff we didn't even plan to talk about, so we could just keep going forever. <laughs> I, I love being off script because I because I don't write a script. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me on, Raph. I appreciate it. I really do. All right, Rick. Thanks for uh, what you do and keep the uh, cyberware going. I, uh, I I subscribe. I listen to the uh, to the daily, so uh, whenever I can. So it's a uh, it's a good resource. Uh, looking forward to seeing what else you're doing, folks. Thanks for listening. This has been yet another edition of the Down to Security Rabbit Hole Podcast with my guest, Mister Rick Howard, the one and only. And uh, we'll see, uh, Rick. Maybe you write a book. I think it's. I think that's what you got to do next. You got to write a book. Uh, yeah, I may be working on that. I'll let you know. Okay. Oh boy. Oh boy. We've outed you. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you another time, another place on another Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Ciao, y'all. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.